September 27, 2011. It's the Watt from Pedro show.
Watch from Pedro Show. Not at Brother Matt's. I'm in my own pad. Uh, it's Tuesday. Last one in September. We started off with Dear Old Stockholm from John Coltrane and then Warp from Sawako. And I'm very honored to share with you folks a guest for this edition of Watt from Pedro Show, Mr. Norton Wisdom, who uh, braved the Hellride <laughs> Traff to come down here and join us. Now, uh, you know, Mr. Norton uh, collaborated a lot together. Last time was two days ago here. In fact, in uh, my Pedro town, it was the Tri-Arts Festival. Actually, it was more of a bi-art thing because I heard there was some uh, feud between uh, parties we weren't connected with. The music was there. The dancing was there. But uh, luckily, Mr. Norton here, he did come forth and represent the arts, even though those <laughs> other people were boycotting or whatever. Having their uh, their feud, Mr. Um, Norton Wisdom is a painter, but not your typical painter. But uh, I want to introduce him uh, by him telling his story. So I want I want to know how, where did you grow up, Norton? Well, first, what? Let me just say, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for your hospitality and. And you know this is taking place in San Pedro. This uh, this interview, and I, I'm always happy when I'm here, man. Yeah, you can tell that he's not from here because he. What'd you call the town? So I San Pedro. I, <laughs> that's how you know, man. Immediately, his hair in the back of his neck goes. Why did I invite this guy to? No, <laughs> what no, am no. I doing now? I'm getting myself in trouble with my locals. No, it's okay. But, yeah, I, uh, I usually love wait for the end of the show to do those. Okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, all right, man. No, anyway, it's much, much my honor to have you aboard because we've been working together since. It's got to be. Uh, oh, the, the, the in late nineties. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. yeah. For so a long, long time, and finally I get to have you on my show. So, where'd you grow up? I'm gonna okay. Where I grew up, I grew up all over L.A. I You're just so bounced guy, a, bounced around uh, Compton. Uh, I was born at L.A. General Hospital. Yeah. And then uh, my dad was kind of a rock on tour and was was hustling and you what, know one what of the year was that. When you were born, forty-seven, man. Okay. That was that's that's. <laughs> Whoa! I'm sorry to do that to your audience, man. I'm sure they're they're sitting back on their haunches now. Forty-seven. What forty-seven? What's he talking? Forty-seven. Hines. <laughs> no, that's fifty-seven. I'm I'm 1957. Yeah, yeah. Well, I oh, still anyway, I got so a so back. Uh, your pop was so anyway. So I bounced. Yeah, bounced around. He was a he was a he was really one of the great artists in my life. I, he was. Um, uh, he he was art meant everything to him. He he, uh, but he was so mischievous that he was always getting in trouble. You know, he always owned nightclubs. He owned the Hollywood Riviera Club, which oh, wow. was a big nightclub in in in, sure. in Palos Verdes, the north end of Palos Verdes. Yeah, yeah. Sinful because place. They call that uh, area for some reason the Hollywood yeah, Riviera. It was there was Even a big. It's between Palos Verdes and. Torrance. <laughs> There's it's a, nowhere near Hollywood. But. Oh no, it's not at all. And it, but it was a big. It looked like a castle. There's uh-huh. actually the stair. The staircases were still there. It's, it's a historic monument. There's a little plaque right there at that at that crotch, and right. and uh, and when it, and, and my dad realized that the money in the late fifties was in t- stolen teenage parties, wild teenage parties, which the folks of Palos Verdes uh, d- didn't go for at all. And when the place caught on fire, they let it burn down to the ground. And this this was this place was very big. It had it had. Uh, 
two dance halls, two dance, big dance auditoriums and five bars and, and a, a huge swimming pool and a motel in, in the shape of, a, of an old uh, sort of Disney, Walt Disney cart, ca, cartoon castle. And uh, uh, it, it was a hangout for all the, it was a watering hole for, for uh, all the, all the, the uh, old marine people in, uh, in Hermosa and Redondo and in that area. You know, because that that area King was a harbor. I know they got uh, Dondo's got their own little arena there and stuff. Th- at that time, uh, Hermosa and that area, of South Bay, was very much like San Pedro. The, it was working class. It wasn't doctors and lawyers and dentists, and oh. you know, I mean, it was it was a it was a, you know everybody had a you know an anchor tattoo and a and a and a, and a pair of, you know a pack of marbles rolled up in their t-shirt and it was it was it was very it was very down to earth very different than it is now oh yeah much different but it, anyway so that was that was a, you were hanging around there as a kid uh, when i was eight that was my haunches then we lived on a boat then we lived on a boat for a couple of years in uh wilmington so i'm close that's why maybe i have an affinity wilmington's the back of the bay yeah, yeah i have back a, of the harbor that, so anyway actually that's where the harbor started their their motto is heart of the harbor yeah even though they get under the rug, uh, little steps, uh, child to Long Beach and Pedro, actually it started in Wilmington. Yeah, this but was this was a long. Time. This was be- this would have been in. in Let's play, no, this is even before your time. So we're talking eighteen hundreds. Oh yeah, that's before my time. Finally, <laughs> something before my.
Watch for Pedro Show. We uh, heard uh, first there was The Beginnings, Volume 2 by Wakine. Then Game of Pricks, something live from Guided by Voices. I got to see them. There's a trippy little park between Chinatown and Dodger Stadium. I think it's called Historical Park. Yeah. It's a strip of grass. You know this place? No, I don't. Well, there was a gig there a couple weeks ago, and I saw, I think it was the second to the last gig, Bob told me, of this certain version of Guided by Voices that was in the 90s. He also made an album with them, he told me. And he's got a new band, and we heard something from that called, uh, they're called the Boston Spaceships, and we heard No Steamboats. And then finally... We heard uh, Note to Self by Biblical Proof of UFOs. Uh, back to the story of Norton Wisdom. So you got chucked off the back of a sailboat in Wemos. <laughs> you guys didn't call it Wemos, did you? I don't know what we called it. I was just, you know, I was yeah, eight years old. Because when I, I came from Virginia and uh, they put me in a junior high here after grade school called Dotson. And in those days we had this thing called busing where they would bring kids from different neighborhoods to go to school with each other. And we had cats from Wilmington. And, you know, they put on the desk and write, I'd I, I never, I, uh, Wilma, I thought that it was, you know, <laughs> Barney and Fred. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, it was the Flintstones. We were like living in the Flintstones. Man. Okay, Wilmington was, okay. But, but actually, it was a slang name with for their town. They called it Wimas. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I found this out after about half a year that the, it isn't a group of ladies. I, I thought there was more than one of them because it was always with an S, Wilma's. Yeah. But it was Wemos. And there was a west side and there was an east side. And uh, didn't get along too much, but I found out the divide line was Avalon Boulevard. But that was my first contact with Wilmington. We were kind of, uh, uh, even though we both share the harbor and we're both part of L.A. City, uh, we were kind of separate. The way SoCal is, we're pretty balkanized as a whole area. Huh? People don't... Yeah, very much so, I think. Even I think... though you're butt up against the next town, because yeah. there's not really space in between our towns here. If you fly over in a plane, it looks like one thing. But if you're on the ground, people only know. Well, I think there's an identity thing. I think people like to have an identity. And it's, uh -huh. a, you know, it's, 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 it's the way we socialize, is, is identifying with our town or our village or... Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's. I think it. I think it's. It, you know, it's. It's a carryover from, from you know, a deep part of mankind as being part of a of, of a circular family and and you know, a, 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 an extended family. But it has to be. You know, I mean, had does have to have boundaries so that you know there is an us and them. I think that's a very part of man's sort of darker unconsciousness. Yeah, weird. You know, but is then it? I jumped from there. We jumped to. We lived in Malibu for a second. Our house there fell in the water. During one of the oh, big, one of the one off PCH, yeah, all yeah. Those little house, yeah, yeah, one of those. It, it, yeah. One day I came home from school and it was in the water. Then we Damn. moved. My dad bought the uh, the old SC well, medical. Like the water because you're talking Riviera. Yeah, yeah, all, all well, not Rosa, always. Wilmington, Boo, all this water. Yeah, water. Because you ended up doing lifeguarding. Right. Was there right. a connection? Uh, very cloudy connection. Right. I mean, I was always in the water. But um, well, what was your first artistic experience? Uh, my dad took me when I was uh, when I was fourteen to Chenard's, which was an old art school, very famous art school down by MacArthur Park in L.A. Downtown, yeah. And uh, and, and I was since I was fourteen, he, he couldn't get me into day classes, so he got me into a night class, which was full of uh, 
housewives and bus drivers and and then this 14 year old kid and uh so Learn my an art. i'll tell you i can i'll tell you my first half hour of, of art of art school of, of, of my art the journey I, that i that i went on that i'm on uh hold it let's play some more music okay get you're gonna tell me ah, okay man <laughs> Got a guy with hair on their arms Serving the community bad pizza I'm a talent scout Observing the sounds Like Mother Teresa Come shake my hand When you run up in Congress You want them to meet you Otherwise you're a creature Feature There's techniques for sideburns Trimmings you never learn There are grown people On a first grade level I gotta teach you the boss The fall for the profits Rapping 
to those earthy coaches and twisted people. Even with the cyclops out in the middle of their forehead, they know how to dodge and boost, recharge, and act like they don't see you, but they eardrum wake like a passenger for that preview. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Who are they? Manufacturers hand over, I make them a waitress nervous to bring my cup over, they slip too much. And them Sears hard bottoms, bring your resume up a notch and let me, let my assistant look at your folder. They respond to from a silly crowd, screaming to them with club soda, they all look bipolar. With leotards, they sit in yoga. But they play amateur style, slow motion poker, too much cabaret, you can't tell them they're not coca. Which one of them complaining? Are they a little mofa? Cry baby Grady in that black Mercedes, my walnuts on the stove, can't bake these. Don't forget the seasoning, please. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. Number one pizza parlor, everybody put on your jewels and get that extra cheese. I'ma stay cool because I don't wanna have to use the bathroom stool. You should know my strategy right now. But they won't accept the ghost of the room. Many stupid cuts from gas with their own butt. Boy, it's 
music is like falling off a bicycle that was not rehearsed and they haven't listened to it. Thank you very much for Home and Garden with Tom Herman. One of the best guitar players ever to come out of Cleveland, Mr. Tom Herman. One of the greatest rhythm sections in rock and roll, Scott Cross and Tony Malone. One of the most genius noisemakers in the world, Robert Wheeler. And I'm some guy named Keith. Thank you very much. Live from Pedro Show, just heard uh, Final Solution, something live from Home and Garden. That's a Parubu show from last month, a reunion of all those cats that lived in that apartment in Cleveland there that ended up in the band. And uh, before that, something off Tom Herman's solo album. He was a guitar player, Parubu, called Jack Something. Before that, we had City by the Water by Todd Conjolier. Todd Conj was in the band after us when we uh, worked the thing Sunday. Yeah, he was great. Uh, they were great. Underground man. Railroad to Yeah, I, I, I take. I couldn't buy their CD fast enough. I was so inspired by their. Yeah, he's a great cat, man. He really is. He's not the trumpet. He's not he's the trumpet. Over, he's put out, uh, out over a hundred records. Whoa. He's not the trombone player. No, he's a singer guitar. Okay. He, he's got several bands, and he's just a motivator. He ain't really Pedro. He's Torrance, but moved here in the '90s and just embraced the town. He's just beautiful, man. Uh, before that, we had uh, Extra Cheese by Cool Keith in 5471. We started off with uh, Cat, Cat, Cat by Light, the Light Brothers. Okay, first half hour of art. Okay, the, <laughs> this, is, uh, this channeled me for the rest of my life, this experience. And uh, what it was, I was 14 years old, and there was this model, a very famous black lady who was mountainous. She, she, I mean, everywhere you looked, there was these fabulous folds and in volumes and used the art from the from the sixties. Almost every artist from the Southern California drew her. Uh, Larry Graham always, when you see drawings of his, the the famous Chicano uh, uh, sculptor, yeah. always would be drawing her. Anyway, so I'm 14 years old and I'm looking at a nude woman, this big, fabulous sight, like landscape, and I and I was thinking to myself, wow, man, I can just stare at her and don't don't have to. Don't have to be embarrassed or morally, you know, ashamed, and don't have to turn away. I said, this art thing is cool, man. Well, you got to draw her. Well, uh, half an hour, I didn't do anything but stared, <laughs> and then I go, draw. okay, all right, now down to business, Mike. And now down to business. So I took out my pencils and my paper, got it all set up, and uh, and this this sort of shaggy beatnik came in with this scrudgy little dog, yeah. and uh, and I go, who's this guy? Right, it's a half an hour, and I just about to, to put my pen, pencil on the paper. And he goes, I want everybody to put away your drawing stuff. I want you to go home, and I want you to call Hiroshima and talk to somebody that saw the bomb. And Hiroshima? I, he, yeah. And so I'm thinking You're to myself. You're talking about in Japan. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa. Oh, that. I can't. I don't know what he's. I can't call from my house. <laughs> my mom would go through the ceiling. I'm gonna have to call Hiroshima with with quarters from a payphone. How many? I wonder how many quarters that is. This is my mindscape, right? Well, he's talking about one of the most profound things about human empathy and and yeah. uh, uh, that you know feeling for your fellow man and and doing to, others you how you want to be. To hear it from. Yeah, from something. Yeah, he didn't want to just hear. You know, I mean, just imagine it. Yeah, he wanted the you know the real pathos. And uh, so that was my my first half hour of I didn't even draw. We just I just we, he just kicked us out of the class. You and got that, to stare, and then we're given some trippy instructions. And that guy turned out to be John Altoon, which was one of the f- oh, really wow. famous Southern California, first of all abstract painters, and then in the sixties went into these these crazy drawings, these sexual drawings. And he became I uh, took me under under his. Uh, 
under his, uh, his, his evil cape, his evil beatnik cape, and uh, turned me on to Gorky and all these ar- great Armenian artists who had come from New York to the West Coast and, and uh, uh, showed me how to use colors and in- the intensity of art and, and to put my feelings onto the page. And anyway, that, the, in, in that Your s- mentor. Yeah, it was my mentor. And then he would take me to, to, to coffee houses. I was 14 and then 15. And we listened to jazz musicians. At, uh, I don't know if you know um, uh, Venice West. It was an old cafe, coffee house in Venice. Crazy as, is, 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 you know, I mean, really, you know, half, half the crowd was cross-dressers and, and the other half were total beatniks and poetry and jazz. Red Holloway played there a bunch. Uh, anyway, I would draw the whole time. And, and the artists would draw. There was no division between these different disciplines. You'd never think about about art, drawing, painting, and jazz and music as being different. It was all just the same consciousness. I think that's very healthy. We're at the end of the first hour of the September 27, 2011 edition of Fido Show. We're going to continue with Mr. Norton Wisdom. So I'll tie it for hour two. September 27, 2011, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
Watt from Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with some uh, great stuff from Sergeant House. Played a bunch last show, and here's some more. Uh, started with Galaxians by Boris and Henry Don't Got Love by La Boucherettes. Oh, they're going to open up for the Stooges in December uh, at the Palladium. Then Frunk by Adebisi Shank. Got their drummer man Mick uh, putting together uh, this tour I leave on in two weeks. Announced the dates today. If you go to the Hoot page, MikeWatt.com. Uh, I'm bringing the third opera with Tom and Raoul to uh, Europe. But first, uh, day after tomorrow, uh, we're going to once again join with Mr. Norton here. And uh, it's going to be filmed. It's great. Well, but we'll get to that stuff later. And then we heard uh, Last Smile for Jaron by Tara Melos. Uh, not what it is, but what it's not by My Go- Bygones. Both those bands have Mr. Nick Reinhardt. Incredible young guitarist. From Sacramento. Then, if gravity lulls, I can hear the world pant by Omar Rodriguez Lopez, incredible uh, musician and composer, producer. Much respect for Omar. And finally, House of Hits by Zach Hill. I think he's Sacto too. I think he's drummer. Drummer man. In fact, I think he d- he's the other guy with uh, Nick there in Bygones, maybe. Oh no, my memory's bad, but your memory's good. <laughs> so let's talk about those old days. We were talking about the, this uh, serendipitous uh, situations falling in that reinforce. Uh, yeah, I, I, what you were after anyway. You knew you wanted to be an artist. I, I, I wanted to be an artist, and I wanted to be a human being. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be not part of the problem. I yeah. think that was what came out of the Beatniks. Okay. You know, they didn't want to be part of the problem. Yeah, and so, uh, and also the, the fact is that there was no. Barriers between disciplines, you know. Oh yeah, you, right, you, right. You, you know, that you it didn't was still really... small enough where the, the the big machine kept its hand off. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have it in classroom. They didn't break it down into classroom. They had been co-opted for marketing schemes and exactly. So anyway, shortly after that, after three years without tune, yeah. uh, I was 60, 1966 and and Haight-Ashbury was going off, and I started hanging out up there, and then. Oh, and, and so then the, this by, 400 miles north, people. Yeah, that, and then jumped in. Uh, then by, well, I think California is all one town, but it's, it's not. It's not. And whole believe, San Joaquin Valley in between. In, in Northern California. So, but, but you just decided, because people were talking in these coffee houses, hey, what about San Francisco? Yeah, there was the talk that, you know, with, with Mario Salvio and the and the free speech movement. And it, right, it, it right. Really had, it, was a, it was a very big beatnik uh, North Beach. So what did you do? Did you uh, hitchhike? Well, or did you? Yeah, I hitchhiked. Yeah, about a lot of hitchhiking. Uh, because who had a car that could make right. it 400 miles? You know, you'd, you, you, we all bought our cars for for 25 bucks, and that was, you know, that you. Those are beaters. Boy, man, that's yeah. a rough one yeah, for yeah, a 400 yeah. mile trip. Yeah. But by '67, I was I was already in Berkeley. I I, I, I was at UC Berkeley, and uh, working. Some people call it Cal. Cal. <laughs> Mr. Hurst, I think. Or Berserkly. <laughs> anyway, so so uh, uh, and I was playing water polo. Jones Park. People's Park, uh, the the uh, the Third World Strike, which was a big one with Huey Newton and the Panthers. Right, Panthers. You know, it was the, the the Oakland was a big big. East Bay. Yeah, it was a big melting you know melting pot for revolutionaries at that time. Very yeah. serious people. So, uh, uh, you know, playing water polo at Berkeley and, and painting, you know. Oh and, yeah, because there's a swimming side because you were by the water. Uh, yeah, I was, I was a water guy, so so I was, you know, I was, I was that was my life was was water polo and That is and, and a tough art. sport. You got to be a strong motherfucker. Uh, you get, <laughs> right? It gets a little vicious. You got to tie your trunks, I'll tell you right? that. You got to tie your trunks if that means anything. Anybody can figure out what that could possibly mean. 
and even that doesn't do you any good. It, it, it's not. It's it, it's tough. I've seen it. I've we seen had it. the greatest coach. This guy Pete Catino yeah. was. He was from a left wing uh, fishing family from Monterey. He was the real yeah. salt of the earth. His he, they were all communists. His his family was all communists and and and, and, and Italian, you know, fishermen and. It, it was. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot in this area down here in Pedro. Uh, you know, Monterey you know. was the actually the capital when we were under Mexico. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's the old cap. So that's where the coach was. And so he was a he was a great uh, role model, father, you know, father figure for me. Yeah. Altoon was the first one. Then my water polo coach, uh, Pete Catino, and then another. Then I started working for this guy Peter Volkus, who was a very famous ceramicist. And at this time, he was doing bronze, and I was. Became a foundry assistant for so for about five years until I got my MFA at Berkeley. Uh, I was uh, I was working for Peter Volkus doing these big thirty foot high bronzes and stuff, and uh, like running furnaces. Yeah, no big. It was big big kilns and and, and furnaces and everything. Big stuff. Thirty thirty <laughs> yeah, foot industrial work. <laughs> yeah, no, we, it was big. It was big stuff. Uh, Jesus. It was uh, that's what it was Kinda all about. Dangerous. It was what it was all about. You know. Forklifts. We all. I mean, yeah, you can right. imagine. A, you, you definitely was part of the game with forklifts. So, uh, and then, um, so that I was. Didn't work a forklift. I worked pallet jack. Yeah. Clutch warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The wheels in the back turn, so you got to know where you're going to. Oh up. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would never. I, I, they, they would fire me the first day. I'd probably, you know, I'd be definitely the bull in the china shop with one of those things, man. <laughs> But you know, uh, uh, forklifts are not much difference. They have the same steer rear and steering. That's what I'm saying. That's what's the, like their cousins. Yeah, yeah. They turn in the back, so it's not it's like driving pretty, a car. Yeah, no, you got to know where you're going to end up. You got to plan it in your head. It, it yeah. It, you you don't come you don't you don't come to that job with with you know an understanding. <laughs> anyway, this is what happened there. Wow, that's wild. So from drawing to water polo to bronze casting. Yeah, they, I was they basically became a sculptor at that point, and I tell you how. I'll tell you a little bit about that story. I um... hold on. Let's play some music. Okay, good. <laughs>
I'm not afraid of the dark at night. I'm not afraid of your painted door. I'm just afraid of what might, might, might never be. Thank you.
Stinky Shit Slap by Spacecraft. <laughs> I, think, I think that's from London, England. <laughs> and uh, Painted Nails by you, yourself, and I. And that's a, a young man who knows Charlie Plymel, which is kind of my personal connection with, with the beat. He lived with uh, Mr. Ginsburg and Mr. Cassidy up on Gough. Gough Street? Yeah, yeah, Gough. There's a Gough in San Francisco. Yeah. That's where they lived, and uh, he wrote a great book called The Last of the Moccasins. It's an incredible book. Yeah. He's, uh, well, that's the, that's the crew, man. Yeah. So I have a little bit of connect. I, I got to meet him maybe four years ago through uh, Thurston at a poetry thing, and he writes me all the time. He wrote me a poem for me and Petra to interpret, and we're going to get to that. But let's get back to your, your, your art journey. You're your cast in bronze. Yeah. And uh, while the music was playing, people... Uh, Mr. Norton here was get hit me to this uh, difference between craft and art, and actually there shouldn't be a difference, except uh, you know the intent of the artist. But as far as dividing people up into highbrow and lowbrow, that this is uh, would you say that kids kept Southern California in the uh, well, you know the the, the the highbrow critics that try to try yeah. to try to force an intellectual uh, uh, architecture over you know poor uh, 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 smarty pants syrup on top of a work of art yeah. so that only they can get the credit for interpreting it to the masses have ruined 
Southern California and, and made the art quite stale and, and, uh, and I think uncommitted. And in other words, when I look at most, most of the very expensive Southern California, I find it quite uncommitted yeah. as far as the artist's intent and, yeah. and, his, and, his, and his joy of making it. It seems very flat to me. And I think that's a, mainly due because of the, uh, because of the academia that, right. that, that, that has cheated the, the populace out of, out of enjoying art. And you, this, we're talking about a struggle down here in San Pedro for usage of a warehouse yeah. between craft and, and art. And there shouldn't be a struggle at all. It just blows my mind that, yeah. that they, you know what I mean, that everybody, everybody, a I was saying that a beautiful Korean, Korean jar is as beautiful as any painting that, yeah. that you could see. And, and, I, and, and the Koreans weren't making it for function, you know what I mean? But when people get too crazy with their function, like they're just making ashtrays to sell it at, uh, you know, at art walks, then, yeah. then, then it, they're taking up space. Okay. They're taking up space. You know I mean, you but should. But you were in the foundry here, learning from a man. I was who poked I, holes in his clay pots so they couldn't hold. He water. he punched them. He was a big. He was a big guy from Montana. He was Greek that lived in Montana. This yeah. big burly guy, and he he was. It was big real macho right. man. It was when you worked in the foundry, your, your, all your shirts would be on fire, burning and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was a real thing. You know, yeah, it, yeah I believe it. We'd work all night. And uh, you know, we'd I'd get to work at two in the morning. We'd we'd work until the dawn, until the sun came up. That was sort of our hours. It, it was really fun, exciting, kind of exciting time. Wow. And then at this, while that was going on, yeah. uh, my house in Berkeley was. We had this old this old three story house, and it yeah. became sort of a hangout for musicians and, uh, and and artists. And at one time, we took a we took a head count. There were twenty seven people living in this in in in, in this house oh, that was man. that that that, uh, that I had rented. So it became. We're we talking uh, late sixties, early yeah, 70s? The, the early the late sixties and early seventies. Yeah. It was like you know, Country Jones and Fish and and uh, the Grateful Dead crew. And I mean, there was the, the, the there was so many musicians in that Berkeley, San Francisco area, yeah. moving back and forth uh, between the Haight and Berkeley. That uh, the, the 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 pad that I where I lived was yeah. a, quite a, quite a, a, a notorious crash pad. Kind of a crux. A nexus. So there, there uh, was you know with my painting and, and performance art, I was doing a lot of perf- I was doing some perf- not a lot. Oh, so you're doing this besides the foundry during the yeah, daytime? Yeah, yeah, because I still had my own personal art sure. and my water polo. So yeah. it was you know the plate was kind of full, but but in the house it was it was a big you know goulash yeah. uh, of the different forms of art. That, you know, a so, lot of characters. Yeah, lo- you know everybody was a character then. Believe me, everybody was a character. <laughs> the pantheon. It was a pantheon. <laughs> it was. Pageant, <laughs> and then and so anyway, so so then there was a lot of drawing and painting with musicians, it, it, you know. Collaborate, I mean, yeah, collaborate. Well, not really collaborating, but it was but it was all happening in the, each other. Yeah, it was all happening together without anybody looking over their shoulder and going, "What is? Why is he doing that?" It just well, seemed all natural. Scared. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's suspicious. No, no, no suspicious. Hustler, no hustlers. <laughs> no, because I, I was my house, man. You right, could, yeah. right, right, right. But there's 26 other cats. Yeah. You didn't have to mind them. It wasn't like herding cats. <laughs> uh, you had to cha- you had to clear house once. It was like it was okay. like you know on Mondays you can't park from 10 to 10 to noon. <laughs> That's like that. Thing. You know what I mean? Just so we could get things straightened about. You know, <laughs> uh, it was that kind of thing, but. Uh, um, then I came back to L.A. after ah, I got my MFA. We're at the end of the second hour. Let's hold that. Good. Floor. Good. Back to L.A. Right. Uh, September 27, 2011. Second hour of the Wild for Pedro show. My uh, guest artist, uh, Norton Wisdom, back with more of his story. Hold tight for hour three. 
September 27, 2011. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
from Pedro Show. Started off the third hour there with uh, Shanty by Taddy Toes. I think they're from Scotland. And then we heard uh, Snake in the Grass by the Black Angels. Maybe they're San Francisco. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that was a psychedelic trip. Uh, now, <clears throat> from this pad in, uh, in uh, East Bay up NorCal, you decided to come back to SoCal. Yeah, what got me back is I was started to teach at Berkeley. I started uh-huh. to teach art, and I got a call in the middle of the winter from uh, from the head of the the Zuma Beach lifeguard saying he had a full time job for me. I left that night. Zuma Beach people is Malibu for those that yeah. don't live in California. Yeah, it's northern Malibu. Yeah. Anyway, I was offered a full time lifeguard job, and out of I the blue. Uh, out of the blue. Well, I, I know I'd worked hard. I mean, I was in I was in line for it, but when it came, why? Because of the water polo. No, connection? no, but because I I'd become a lifeguard in in, in the, during the summers. I'd come home from Berkeley and yeah. lifeguard up in in Malibu. Oh, and, you and said and, you already had boot. Connection. Yeah, I, okay. and in '66 I had taken the test and become a became a lifeguard. So summers I'd I'd summer here, okay. and then winter at Berkeley. And uh, when I was offered in, 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 in uh, I think, 73, a full-time job, I, and I was teaching at Berkeley, I, I didn't like teaching. It was just not, it was kind of a babysitting thing. And I, and I, 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 I in the B. You didn't see any students there that were you just a few years before? Did any of those teachers teach you? Did you like a babysitting when you were there at Berkeley? No, I had, uh, no, not at all. Because you lucked out with some good. I, I, but they did. That's to say it was a mixed, it's a mixed bag. Or I what, mean, what, the times had changed? No, well, they, they had changed. After Altamont, the times had yeah. really changed. Yeah. It was a, like a, that was like a curtain. Somebody pulled a curtain on the age yeah. of Aquarius. Right. I forgot the date of that, but that had really. It was just after Woodstock, right? It, it really, had, it, it was the end of an era. It was the end of the age of it Aquarius. It ended up with a lot of fighting and stuff. There's murder. a movie with the Rollins. Yeah, there was, a mur- was, there, a, there was a murder. Stabbed and, to death. Yeah, it was in the Hell's Angels had 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 redirected the, you know the entire consciousness. The song uh, "Give Me Shelter" is about that. So uh, I drive through out to Mount Pass when I'm going up to play the city. Yeah, that's where they got all them uh, the first wind farm trips. And it's also got Livermore's there with the nuclear uh, triggers. Yeah, that, that's the paradox of Berkeley, that's man. A mixed up the trip. You I know, know, here's I know. Berkeley. You know, what I mean, it's supposed to be. But anyway, so the school you say that the things have changed. Yeah, anyway, so the point. I just I wanted to be a lifeguard at the beach. I didn't want to be a teacher. I thought teaching would interfere with my creative uh, energies. Stifle. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I know that most teachers don't paint. Generally, you know, what I mean, they, 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 it takes, you know, unless unless you're a, a, a celebrity teacher that they just bring in because you're famous, right? And you don't really have to teach classes. They just want you on the on the on the uh, like roster. Persona. Yeah, they want you on the oh, roster oh, for prestige. prestige yeah. You know, it's like having a bunch of you know Nobel laureates at Berkeley. At Levin when I was there, but wow. none of them taught. I mean, I, I actually took a ta- class from Teller. Who was yeah. the guy that was the inventor one of the, those bomb guys? Yeah, he was the inventor of the the hydrogen bomb. So me wearing a no war shirt for my whole my, my, for 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 twelve years, I'll probably be known as the guy who studied under <laughs> or that'll probably be my epitaph, right? Just when I die, it's like well, I want to be known as the man. I know just, it was the lottery. Or I know, but I mean, you know how it is that you oh, yeah. you want your you epitaph to be about you were yeah that <laughs> that you wanted to be about him as a man of peace, and then your hands are dirty and filthy right. and you, soiled. You know, and then you, you die. I remember his spiels. Oh, he was ridiculous! He wanted to he wanted to uh, to uh, dredge dredge uh, uh, bays uh, in, in commercial bays in Alaska with with hydrogen bombs. Yeah. That was his theory on how to dredge, how to create a commercial bay. Quick, using, quick construction. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, th- that's a, uh, anyway. So you're now you're in Boo. So and I come down to Boo, and and 
and I'd, I'd been in, I, but this time I'd been in a lot, I'd been accepted into a lot of galleries showing, showing all around this country and in galleries, but the, the Vietnam War had heated up so bad, it became so depressing yeah. that I no longer wanted to be part of the problem. So I withdrew from all my galleries and just decided to go into my studio and paint. So for like um, eight years, I never left my studio, never showed anybody my art. I just stayed in my studio, which was on Adams between oh, yeah. Crenshaw and La Brea, which was called the Boulevard. I mean, that's, the Adams is the the hood, buddy. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's I worked at Forty Third and Crenshaw for an old lawyer. Yeah, at Lamar Park. That sure, Lamar Park. Area. Yeah, yeah. And there was a club right near there called the uh, Total Experience. Mavericks. There was Mavericks. Was Mavericks down there. And the, the total, uh, K-Day, the radio station. K- K- yeah, with a uh, and What was it? I, this is early '80s when I'm working there. Yeah. So this is a little at the tail end of what you're talking about, but. Yeah, so that's where your art was. So anyway, so yeah, that was where my studio was, and so I just stayed in my studio, and then uh, and then I started. I, I hooked up with a with the with a German dealer who who became very interested in my art at the end of this, uh, like in seventy eight, and I started showing in Germany, um, and through this dealer, I got in, introduced to a lot of musicians, and. Uh, one of my who became one of my best friends is Zam Johnson, who was the last touring drummer with Iron Butterfly. He'd been on the road for a, a year, and he to find when he got the road, he he just came into my studio and set up his drums, and and we and started bringing in other other musicians. Uh, You're painting now. While drummer. I'm painting in my studio, yeah. musicians started hanging out, and Snake Pit Eddie Snake Pit, a great horn sure. player, would come there, and and uh, we were just down the street. It was on Adams. We were just down the street from the Parisian Room. So it would be go right in the studio to the Parisian room. tore that down and put a post office uh, on. Well, what are you going to do, man? That was like La Cienega and, uh, right? Yeah, it was La Cienega and Washington. In Washington. Yeah. Because I, I, if you're going up on the west side, that's the most direct route from Pedro. You get off San Diego Freeway because it keeps taking you west. So we want to go north. I used to pass that, and I've seen a lot of gigs there. Oh, you know, they all were there. All of them. That was the great... The so great, these guys would come in... And you painting to their jamming, right? And this went on. This went on for a, for a couple of years. We're really getting, you know, really becoming. It's kind of a scene. But it's just in your. Yeah, yeah. Never left the studio. It was just a hang. No, and I went. I had a show in Germany in 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 eighty one, and I went there and and this time Reagan was going to save Germany by neutron bombing them. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and which would kills all the people. And... Kills all the people, but saves the buildings. Buildings are saved, right? And for some reason, the Germans were upset about this. They had a there was a big protest in Bonn, like three hundred thousand people, which was at that time the biggest political march in in history. And Bonn was the capital of West Germany in those days. Exactly, and I, I at, that was the night of the march was the night of my show. And that night, I had dinner with the Werner Herzog, who was a, a filmmaker and a, and a great. German sculptor Nikolai Trekor, and we and we said that we just can't any longer sit by the sidelines and be artists in our little ivory towers. We have to get involved with, you know, these these big issues. Yeah, you know, the studio no longer is the answer. We can no longer just, you know, like I was living in my studio and not doing anything. Right, sequestered. So we decided to paint on the do a thing on the Berlin Wall. I paint on the Berlin Wall. This guy Nikolai Trekor was going to sculpt. He was going to ship out a little bas relief and Werner Herzog was going to auction it off right and we, nobody thought in 81 the wall would ever come down so we thought we'd make these deeds up and these rich people could buy these I own part of the Berlin Wall you know here's my deed right we'd do this whole spoof on 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 this Berlin Wall thing and uh, uh, 
Well, what happened was before the dinner was over, Vernon Herzog and I got in this insane argument. It, he he uh, he 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 said that he thought the height of American culture was this guy Dirty Harry who was on cable TV and he would have a trench coat and he would expose himself <laughs> to women walking around New York and then interview them. And he thought that was brilliant. And I and I knew about this guy, but I thought he was kind of a jerk. But anyway, I any anyway the fact that I didn't agree. That debate. I didn't agree with Werner. I didn't like say, "Oh, that guy's the greatest." I just kind of shrugged it off. He went nuts, right? That I was an idiot well, for not acknowledging his good taste. And, and, and that I was an idiot. I knew nothing about my people, my culture, right? Oh. I, I was really out of tune. Oblivious. And, and he had just come back from the Aspen Film Festival, where where uh, uh, the film in Brazil. What was the film with Mick Jagger? Uh, anyway, he, he he was on the top of his game. They had considered. Werner Herzog, the guy that saved cinema because he was raw and front line and stuff. Anyway, the, uh, while he was yelling at me, right, I was looking at him because he'd just come back from Aspen. I said, he had the big cowboy belt on, right? And I go, wow, that's a nice cowboy belt. That's a nice belt. And he goes, yes, it's Aspen. It's cowboy. It's a real thing. You should know about it. And on the belt buckle was an etching of a very famous German academic drawer from the 19th century, Heinrich Clyde, right? A real famous drawing, and but it was German, right? On this cowboy thing, it was kind of a cowboy thing. It was two 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 guys on a snail racing, like you know. And I go, whoa! I go, that's great, man. I go, I love the fact they put a German. And he goes, it's not German. He went right anyway. And he was trying to impress his. his well, I'm not even going to go who he's trying to impress. Okay. So anyway, that so that fell apart. And and so doing the Berlin Wall thing was 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 off the table. Yeah. And I had a mural to do in, in, in the Black Forest and I, in this castle. So I went up to this the Black Forest. And uh, when I got there, I went for a run in, in the Black Forest. Went to this, and, you know, it was very Wagnerian. Toadstools. Shots fouled. It was up in... Uh, That's Black Forest in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was definitely a, it was definitely a Black Forest. It was full of gremlins and very, you know, I mean, very Wagnerian. Bolts. Big, big mushrooms and toadstools and... But I had an epiphany uh, at the end of this five-hour run that was do what you do best, but do it at the Sistine Chapel. Whoa. And, I, and so here I was given I this get riddle. To the Vatican. Here was this riddle, right? Do what I do best, but do it at the Sistine Chapel. So I... Michelangelo I, on his back. <laughs> I had to figure out what this meant. And, you and go paint on the ceiling. And, and do you do you want to should I, should I drift on to this? Let's play some music and we'll drift over. All right.
as a child from the 90s.
Watt for Pedro Show. Uh, we heard some stuff that I, I play on. A brand new album from uh, Brother Steve McKay uh, called uh, North Beach Jazz. We heard a tune called La Cuisine Charnel. Steve McKay, which is uh, Carnot Kitchen, uh, his band from 40 years ago in Michigan. Uh, he got it with his drummer Marco, and they did a reunion thing with Dick Deluxe and uh, invited myself. We did this in Sunset Beach. Then we heard uh, Habit, which is something maybe 15 years ago. Uh, Ed Vedder singing, playing guitar, uh, Dave Grohl on the drums, and me on the bass. We did a tour called the Ringspiel Tour. Uh, yeah, 16 years ago. And then finally, Effigy, which was, uh, I was invited to play a bass. Uh, Alan Woody had passed away, and Government Mule was uh, working with different bass players, and I got to... Well, I like that flannel Warren uh, Haynes told me, uh, let's do some Creedence. So we, he put Ramble Tamble together with Effigy, and that's what we heard there. Now back, back to the story. <laughs> oh, God. If you, all right, we're going we're gonna to move into this, uh, this riddle that I, that, uh, that this epiphany I had in the Black yeah. Forest uh, that said, uh, do what you do best, but do it on the Sistine Chapel. And, uh, and well, what I do best, I'm an abstract painter, right? That's what I do. I'm an abstract painter. I believe in, you know, the, un- the, 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 the these unconscious images really have emotional uh, uh, connections with us. Make it speak through symbol. Yes. So that's what I do. And so I go, the Sistine Chapel, what, is it, what does that mean, right? The Sistine Chapel, like we were just talking a few minutes ago, was the, actually the line between the pagan era... And, and, and the Renaissance, because Michelangelo had the, a lot of the Greek gods were represented on the Last Judgment. And like you said, man, it, the, the Renaissance was the humanism, and that Adam was as big as God, yeah. which is you know saying that the man now is the measure of all things. So this was the difference between the pagan era and the Renaissance, and also between good and evil, because hell... So it was a wall. This was the wall between all these different... And I left that night from the Black Forest and yeah, went to Berlin. Wall between good and wall. evil. Yeah. It, the, you know what I mean? It was the, the, the Renaissance wall was the Sistine Chapel yeah. between good and evil. There's but, a parallel universe. Like and then the, our wall between, yeah. you know, the, uh, between the Soviet Union and the free market, right, between the authoritarian Stalinism and the free market... Was the Berlin Wall? Yeah. So I—that's what I how I think. I'm going to go to the Berlin Wall, and uh, and do some abstract paintings on it. I'll just do what I do, right, and see what happens. Oh, that, so yeah. No, no political agenda, you know. No, no Werner Herzog. Yeah, that shit okay. was that. That stuff was dead. That was out. That wasn't going to happen. You unhitched that wagon. And uh, <laughs> it, that wagon was definitely unhitched. My broken wheels. <laughs> so I went to Berlin. I went that night, and then. For the next the next two days, I tried to find a place in West Berlin where I could paint on the wall, where I could do my little abstract. And the polizei kept chasing me away because because this the Berlin Wall was their cash cow. Yeah. This was what the symbol of Soviet oppression was, and they didn't want anybody to touch it. They did the rule was you don't paint on the wall, you don't touch it. This was eighty one, right? With the three hundred thousand people still marching in bond, uh, Reagan about to dist- you know start the nuclear war. Uh, and and uh, and me sitting there with my with my paints and brush, looking for a place to do my little abstract painting, right? So this was the this was the the environment that was 
was was happening. And finally, I realized I wasn't going to be able to touch the wall, so I had to jump over the wall into East Germany in a place called Vetting, which is the Turkish area, so I wouldn't be bothered by the West German police. So I actually painted uh, a mural, which was 150 meters long, in on the wet, on the east side of the of, of the Berlin Wall, and I had to stay there for three days because once I jumped over the wall into East Germany, I couldn't come back onto the west side because the police would have you know I'd left the country and the police would have arrested me, which they did. So I had to stay there. I stayed there for three days and painted this long mural. I had to paint only at night because the day I didn't want the East Germans to see me because at that time I thought that well if they saw me there would be a little there would be a little chase right. And I'd turn around and throw my Walkman at them, and, and they would salute me, and I'd, we'd, I'd say, see you at Disneyland, and, and that would be it, right? I, I figured that would be the, the consequences of this little in, jumping over the wall in East Germany. But uh, I found out later that they had shot 500 people to death <laughs> that year, right? And I was surrounded by self-shooting machine guns and minefields. Yeah. So, so in, my, in, my, in my naivete, right, I did this big, long thing. Then, and then the third day I left, and I was arrested by the... West Berlin police for leaving the country without a without a visa, and and then reentering it without a visa, and but I was flown out of Berlin by the police and I could didn't get back in for four years. I could I kept trying to get back in but I, I couldn't get permission because Ber- Berlin West Berlin was not part of. Oh, I know I played there in those days. Yeah, checkpoint Charlie. You how about uh, SL thirty six? How about SL thirty six? Yeah. I played at that club. I played there with Black Flag. Oh, Minutemen and Black Flag. It was an old butcher. It was the whole. It was, yeah, they turned into a club or something. Yeah, like the slaughterhouse or something. Kreuzberg they, they style. Told me the, uh, yeah, that was the punk area. Yeah, yeah, I played there. That's famous. That was like the famous, famous so club. Yeah. So, wow. So we share that. Yeah. <laughs> now look, you hook up with uh, Nels Klein. So then I came back. Uh, after that, and we decided, Zam and I, the drummer from the last drummer from the Iron Butterfly, yeah. decided we'd start playing the punk clubs. If we couldn't do this in the studio anymore, the world was too crazy with the, with the imminent possibility of a nuclear war and and everything falling apart. We thought that at this point we we're going to take what was going on in my studio out to the punk club. So we formed a band called Panic, which was with Snake Pit. Eddie Snake Pit was an insane Sounds horn player. Good. Yeah, and Zam on. Old Moog synthesizers. He had the old patch chords. Took him forty-five minutes to, to plug in and drums. And we went out on this. And I had my big screen then, which was uh, was a twelve foot by eight foot plexiglass wall of light that I painted. And this is what we do. And we'd go into to, to you know the Cathay de Grand. Yeah. I mean, we, it was a big deal, big operation. I had I had a I brought all my stuff in a trailer, and. Uh, and we played all the clubs, Madame Wong's. And, and what, Nels was on the bill? No, but we oh. started playing, it, 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 in the early days, we started playing this place called the Taurus Tavern, which was a dyke biker yeah, bar yeah. in Venice. And Nels used to come there when he was a kid. Because he grew up in Santa Monica. He was in that, in that area, so he'd come and check out our scene because we'd kind of got a reputation. Uh, uh, what's his name from KCRW? Uh, Tom Schnabel was always, was always giving us the horn. So you know we get we had quite a following in those days. So Nels would come and check out our scene. So that's before I even met him. And then later, when he was doing the uh, uh, Monday night, New Music Monday, New Music Mondays, the Crocodile, I forced myself onto him. Right, I used that my. And that's just on the west side on Pico. Yeah, and so I I forced myself into into getting every foist. 
foisted myself, <laughs> hoisted myself in the, on the stage with his Nels, Nels Klein trio, trio. Right. And, uh, and started performing there. Reg- Bob it, and Michael. Yeah, yeah. Don, was it Michael or Don? Michael I guess. Price during the drums. Oh, yeah, and, and who was the, ba- the bass player? Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. So anyway, so I, I kind of forced myself on Nels and started painting. Because that's our connection. Because when we, uh, me and Nels start playing with Perkins in a band called Banyan, Nels suggests, I know this painter who can interpret gigs. Yeah, and then they, they you know, and, and I'll tell you about my first gig with you guys. Uh, it was at that club on Pico. And I think there was there was that Arctic somebody was playing with opening or you were Banyan was opening for the Arctic I forgot who it was some some cat anyway I wore a dress because I thought this yeah. well you rock stars wore dresses right I, I just figured that's what the thing was so I wore this dress and I got to the club and, and Nels and, and Perkins introduced me to, to Nels introduces me to Perkins and and Perkins looks at me I got the dress and he goes you're the painter you you're over there. But that was all he said, right? And I went, whoa, okay, right? And so, you know, of course, I'm the only one in the dress, right? And this went on until we did the, um, and I, all I know is Perkins looked at me, right? And he just said, you know, I used to wear dresses. <laughs> and then he goes, I hate what I'm wearing. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, it was probably the last time I ever wore a dress. I said, I don't need to wear them anymore, man. And, and, <laughs> I made my point, but anyway, then I got to travel with you, Mike. I got to go on yeah. the road with you, which was, which was some of the great stuff, man. To get to hang with you and, and personally, you know, get to watch your mind work. September twenty seventh edition, Watford Peter Show, two thousand eleven. Keep your powder dry.